0: Troy just mentioned, he says, let's all stand up and stretch our legs before Doug gets here. And what I actually heard was, um, I'm going to try to wake you up before Doug tries to put you to sleep. (laughs) So I appreciate that, Troy, for getting us up and and moving along. Uh, I I saw something take place earlier, uh, and I I try to prepare my mind for worship, although I'll admit to you it's not always very easy to do Uh, many times. I'm thinking about what needs to happen next and what goes on here and how this is all going to work. And so Scotty headed up to do communion, and I knew he was doing that. We had prayed together before, uh, and then I saw Devon coming up behind him, and I thought, oh no, there's been miscommunication. What's going on? They're both up there. There's going to be this awkwardness of who's really supposed to go. And, and, and then they proceeded to um, join us all in communion. Which if you think about the word communion, we commune together, we do this together. This is not just an up and down with God, it's also with one another. And I started thinking and doing the math, and I am a young guy, you you know this, because I look young. Uh, Thank you for (laughs) mentioning that. But I, I, I suspect that I can remember, and I don't remember the first few years of my life, but I suspect I've been a part of about 1,500 communion services. And I've never witnessed two people come together and lead in a communion service. And I thought, what a beautiful thing. That what we're seeing here is a reminder that this is not just about us. That God has called us to be the church. He, in fact, is the head. We are the body. And we work together and we come together and we commune together. Uh, And it just so happens... That that's really what we're talking about this week. How we work together as a body. This is not what I had planned to do. This is not what I had planned to do. I'm just going to have to make a habit of keeping this light on. But we've talked about, we've gone through the steps of Jesus having the power to walk on water, and He gave it to Peter, and then the church has it, and then last week we talked about it. We as individuals, God has called us to be the one that goes out there and, and reaches the many, the masses, not necessarily in feeding of 5,000, but it happens in these one-on-one relationships. You see, what I find most profound about Jesus and His ministry is He did His best work one-on-one. You know, he fed the 5,000 and and at the end of it, you know, they're wiping the breadcrumbs off and they say, your teaching is too hard for us, and they leave. He fed 5,000 plus women and children. 15,000, 20,000 people listened to him, tasted of the miracle and said, I can't do it. But it's those one-on-one experiences that he had with individuals like Nicodemus and the bleeding woman and the woman who anointed his feet. Those are the ones that they stuck with him. It was Nicodemus from John chapter 3 who snuck in at night to ask Jesus about questions. And this is where we get, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That, that was Jesus' dialogue With Nicodemus, but you'll also remember later on it's Nicodemus who went with Joseph of Arimathea, who went uh, to take care of Jesus' body. And so it's these one on one experiences. And so what I want to talk about you today is these one on one experiences. What I like to do uh, when I'm speaking is I like to share some stories, something that kind of helps connect with the passage that we're talking about. And usually, you know, that's something that takes place where I've, I've read it somewhere or I've, I've come across it or I've heard it somewhere. But today I'm going to share something with you um, that hits home because this is my personal story. Uh, and it's what led me um, to want to preach about this passage in Matthew chapter 18. This is a passage that I had said earlier, I was talking to someone, I said, this is probably the sermon that you should preach at least once a year. Because this is something that everybody has to deal with, and there's different ways that we handle it. Uh, And a lot of this has to do with a class that I took uh, several years ago with my dear, beloved mentor and friend and hero in the faith, Charles Seibert. Dr. Seibert was a wonderful man uh, and, and stuck with me through some tough times and gave me guidance and encouragement. And I learned a lot about conflict management and how to work with people And the the verse that you need to find to look at when you're dealing with people and you're dealing with problems is Matthew chapter 18. That's the first place that we're going to go to. I'm going to reference some other places. But I'm just going to kind of bear all of this out right now and tell you what happened this week that led up to this point. Uh, And this is a difficult um, conversation to have with you because it's in a very emotional one. Um, but I, I want to share this with you, because I think it's going to tie in with Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at that in just a second. So if you've already turned there, put your finger on verse 15, but then I'll hang on and listen for just a minute. Uh, I, I had a, um, a wonderful childhood growing up. Uh, Although, at 13, a few things got a little rocky, uh, and and got uh, particularly difficult when our Beaver Cleaver family, um, where, you know, we were at church every Sunday, all the, me and my two older brothers, we wore our little suits and ties, and Um, My dad was a deacon, my mom was a VBS teacher, and and we literally just almost lived up at the church. Every time the door was open, uh, and if it wasn't, we unlocked it and went in because our parents were working on the church and doing something, preparing for a class, any number of things. At 13, it all just went downhill uh, when my, my dad said, things aren't going well with me and mom. And uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to leave for a little bit. And my dad was my best friend. And that, that sent me in a kind of a little bit of a spiral. And the climax of that, or I guess the vortex of that spiral, happened when I was 15. And my dad was in a terrible helicopter accident. He was the pilot. I think some of you are familiar with that story. I was a freshman at that time. And, and my dad was in a terrible accident that left him with broken neck, broken ribs, broken uh, crushed vertebrae, elbows, feet, everything. I mean, there hardly wasn't a bone in his body that wasn't broken. A hangman's neck, uh, hangman's break in the neck. It was a, a terrible time. My brother and I up to that point, uh, Kevin, my middle brother, two and a half years older, fought. And I don't mean like spit wads. I mean, we, were, we would fight regularly. Um, and, and, and it was brutal, and it was violent, and we were not nice to each other. We, you know, we were brothers. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's kind of what brothers do. Um, they shouldn't, but we did. And uh, it was a really, really tough time. Uh, things, I, I, I was trying to find my identity. I was asking God a lot of really tough questions. Um, and God God was big enough to handle my questions, but it was a tough time. Uh, during that time, um, my oldest brother had already left for college, so Kevin was a senior in high school, and as a senior in high school, you, you know, I mean, you just, uh, there's so much going on, and you you have your own life to live and fun things to do, and all of a sudden, Uh, My brother, I don't know if he was forced into this role or he accepted the role of becoming a a father to a freshman boy that before that had happened, we hardly could be in the same room without killing each other. And I have told this to Kevin, and he knows this. uh, He won't take credit for it. But Kevin probably saved my life (coughs) during that time. I was really struggling. I was angry. I was upset. I was hurting. My family life was terrible. My dad was stuck in a hospital. And all we could hear from doctors was, well, he's not going to live. And my brother sacrificed his senior year in high school to take care of his little freshman brother. And I don't know that we had an argument during that year, um, and he really became my best friend um, and stuck with me through a really really difficult time. Uh, fast forwarding a few years, my God, my my dad through miracles from my God, he was not only able to get out of ICU, uh, out of. The hospital out of rehab, but he actually was able to walk and ultimately was able to get back in a helicopter and fly. Uh, and what an amazing story that is, and I'd love to share that with you, although you already know the ending, I guess. Uh, some of you have met him, he's been up here before uh, and loves to see his grandkids. In fact, he's just crazy enough that um, he retired and started building his own plane, uh, and he flies it which makes you think that he has to be a little insane to do something like that. But my, my dad's a very godly man, uh, and he, he definitely loves the Lord. But my relationship with Kevin was solidified because of that very difficult time. Um, I went off to school to Abilene, I came back to Mansfield. We lived very close together and we continued to work on that relationship. And it was close, about eight years I was a youth minister there and we, we spent time together uh, as much as we could, he and his wife Jenny. Then we moved to Sweetwater and that, uh, we didn't get to see each other quite as much. But I had these retreats that I would go on. Uh, called Walk to Emmaus, and I invited him on one, and that became a very special bonding time for both of us, and our relationship grew once again. And so it was one of the reasons why I really hesitated um, moving to Hobbes, because I knew that I was moving further away from family. I am the only person in my family out of brothers um, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents, all of them live in the Metroplex. We had already moved to Sweetwater and we felt like God was calling us to Hobbes. And we said, wrong number, God. We're going to move back east. That's where family is. That's where we need to be. You know, my brother is there. Both of my brothers live there. My family's there. I need to be there. And God God won. Um, and in and in the essence, we won because we we're able to be here with a, a church family that I love being with. But in doing so, that stretched out the relationship with my brother, and it—it's not like we couldn't pick up the phone. But things got busy over the last eighteen months, and it all came to a head um, just this a, a week ago yesterday. Um. I got a um a text from um his wife and she was texting uh Jennifer and basically the the gist of the text was um you know we're just we're not close anymore and and apparently their feelings were that we had had been avoiding them and uh and I started thinking about my relationship with my brother and how he had helped me through a difficult time. And I really wasn't there for him. He went through a difficult transition uh, not too long ago. And we had a few conversations. But after that text, Jennifer and I sat down and I said, We have to call them. Um, and I was heading off to Midland and for a mission trip, and we had some other things going on. She wasn't even in town, so we kept trying to three-way call them, and it wasn't working out. And there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiousness in this phone call, trying to figure out, why did they feel that way? why Why did they feel like that? But we knew that we had to have that conversation. We knew that we had to call... Make that difficult phone call and say okay let 's let 's really talk about this let 's figure out what 's going on. Um, I would have loved for us to to load up the car and just drive down there, but you know twelve hours round trip wasn 't something we could do, but we had to take care of it right then, and so we set up a time i 'm coming back in i 'll be home on thursday night let 's do this we 're going to call you and so Jennifer and I. She, we were back in town, back in the same room. We put on speakerphone and we, we called them and had this conversation. And unbeknownst to us, for the last several years, they felt as though there was this, this um, bridge or expansion that had occurred in our relationship. And from the, by the fact that we couldn't come in as often as we would like to, they kind of surmised that maybe we didn't want to come in quite as much as we wanted to and that maybe we didn't care being around them or being with their kids and none of it was true none of it was true i love my brother and i would do anything for him or his family it, it would not be a hard decision if i had to you know to to take uh, you know, a bullet for my brother or give him my my kidney or whatever I could do for him. I mean, I, I just... But here's the thing. He didn't know that. He had forgotten. I hadn't done a good job of communicating to him how important it was... For me to share my love with him. For me, when we got together, it was like we picked up where we'd left off before. But somewhere down the line, he had gotten a message. And his wife, Jenny, kept saying, well, maybe it's just Satan trying to put things in my head. That's trying to tear our family apart. And and what we tried to reassure them is that, you know what? We've done a really lousy job of letting you know how much we care for you. But you need to know this. We care for you. We love you. And oddly enough, while especially Jennifer and Jenny and maybe Kevin to some degree were really not looking forward to that phone conversation we had on Thursday, I could not wait for it to come. Because I thought this is an opportunity for us to say, no, 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 we really, really love you. And we care for you. So much so that we're willing to make this awkward phone call or drive to Dallas to see you and see if we can't resolve this. Because what we need to get from this is that we're a family. And when we have problems, we talk about it. We work it out. And through this, not only is our bond strengthened But in my opinion, we get to see how awesome God's reconciliating power works in the lives of families. But here's what has to happen. You have to be willing to have the conversation. Because most of us live in the silent war and we don't want to talk about those things. Some of you, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, but there's probably a lot of you who live in families that, that believe in the, the don't talk rule. You know what I'm talking about? The don't talk rule, where if something bad happens, we don't talk about it. If somebody does something that's hurtful to you, you just don't talk about it. Because if we don't talk about it, then it'll just kind of go away and we don't have to worry about it. But if we talk about it, the person who brings it up, they're actually the bad person even though they were the victim. Does, does that make sense? This happens in families all the time. Somebody gets hurt and the brother and sister, instead of confronting the person who's hurting, they just walk away and they kick rocks and they mumble under their breath and they say, well, I'm never going back there again. Or if I see them, I'll give them the cold shoulder. Or if they extend their hand to give me a handshake, I'm just going to look at it and walk away. Or I'm going to go tell all my neighbors, or all my brothers and sisters, or I'm going to call mom and tell them what they did. But they don't make that phone call that says, I've got a problem. We've got a problem. We've got to take care of this. Now I'm telling you, this is where the breakdown occurs. How many of us, Have relationships with family members or neighbors where we didn't clearly communicate, and all of a sudden there's this rift. And what started out as, well, I was upset at you because you didn't ask me to bring potato salad, you know, and you left me out of that 20 years ago, to now you won't even look at each other or talk to each other. That happens. And Jesus knows that this happens, and so here's what He says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, and in fact, the Greek kind of leaves a little confusion there. It almost seems to be translated, if your brother sins, not necessarily against you. But listen to this, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Did you hear that? This is problem number one. He says this is the first step. If you have a problem with someone, if Brad has a problem with me, as a Christian, as a brother, your responsibility is to come to me and say, Doug, I really don't like that. I have a problem with that. And then Brad and I can sit down and we can discuss it. But here's what happens. And I'm not going to railroad you, Brad, but here's what could happen. Brad could say, man, I really don't like Doug. I really think he should wear ties every Sunday. And he could go to Barry. And he could tell Barry, Barry, have you noticed Doug doesn't wear ties on Sunday? That's wrong. That might be unscriptural. I'm going to look it up. There's somewhere wrong. And he and Barry get together and they go talk to Judy and they say, Judy, have you noticed? This is unscriptural. He doesn't wear a tie. And then there's this secret committee meeting that's created and this has happened ministers have walked into into churches on Sundays maybe not over a tie but I talked to one just recently he walked into the door the elder said we want to talk to you things aren't working out you got two weeks and you're gone where was go to the brother if you have a problem with them isn't that scriptural isn't that what God calls us to do but no, that would be the right thing to do. The easy thing to do is to get on the phone and call everybody but the person who you have a problem with. Or, this is the great way to do this. I love this. How about Facebook? Let's get on Facebook and let's post and let's make a somewhat vague post, but not so vague that people can't figure it out. Like, I'm really mad at someone because of what they did. And, and then you kind of leave it out so people can kind of guess who it is. It happens. And when it's time to sit down at Thanksgiving, there's somebody who's missing at the table. You want to know why? Because they didn't go talk to the person when there was an issue. He continues on. If you have a if a brother sins against you, go and show your fault. Uh, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. You know, you talk about conflict management. Honestly, probably ninety. And this is a complete guess. I'm just guessing here. I mean, I have no statistical evidence either way against this, but I would guess about ninety to ninety five percent of the time, it's solved right there. If you go and talk to that person with whom you have a problem with, you go and you humbly bear your heart and say, here's what happened. If you go and say, you know what, I really would appreciate it if you didn't make fun of my cooking. I know you think it's a joke, but it really hurts my feelings. 95% of the time, they're going to respond with love and that situation is handled. Or, you don't have to say anything and you can mumble and be mad and every time you see a a frying pan, you think of how your sister-in-law said something mean to you and you can get bitter and mean and, and be hurtful to her and towards other people because you just didn't have that conversation. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen to you... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So this is step two. You go there and you say, you know what? I really don't think it's appropriate that you're doing this. And they say, I don't care. That's when you bring in two or three people. Again, we love to jump to this step. We love to tell two or three people about what somebody did against us or hurt us. We just don't want to go to that person. Uh, Lance and I and the other staff, when, we, when I first got here several years ago, I, I said, here's what I want us to do. We're a staff, we're a team, we're a family, we work together. I don't, I, I don't know, but there might be somebody who attends here who doesn't like me. I'm okay with that. You don't have to like me. You don't have to like the fact that I don't wear a tie. I'm okay with that. If you have a problem, come talk to me. I'll wear a tie for you. And we'll all be happy. But I said, when we get there, I will not. I will not let somebody walk into my office or corner me and say, I don't like Lance. I can't believe that when, we, when my kid gets in the van, he makes them listen to Christian music the whole time. That should, they should get to listen to whatever. I will not allow that to happen. Here's what's going to happen. If you come to me and you say, I don't like what Lance does, do you know what I'm going to say to you? I'm going to say, have you talked to Lance? Does Lance know how you feel? Because if you're not willing, if to be the person who says we're going to follow the Matthew 18 model, then we will continue to be a people who gossip and backstab and live bitter, angry, unchristian lives because we aren't willing to go to the person in love and talk to them. If somebody has a problem with Lance and they come tell me, my first thing is, have you talked to Lance? If they say, no, I haven't, I'm going to say, you go talk to Lance. If you can't go talk to Lance, I will go with you and we will go talk to Lance. And we will pray about it and we will lovingly talk with him. If we need to confront him, that's what we're going to do. But the right thing to do is not to come tell me how you don't like him and then walk away. And I looked at him and Carol, and Burnell, and I said, I expect the same from you. There are going to be plenty of people who don't like my sermons, who don't like my hair, who don't like the way that I talk, or the fact that I keep referring to this place as Hobbs, Texas. And your response to them is when they come up and say, I really don't like Doug, I have a problem with him. Your response is, biblically, you grab that person and say, go talk to Doug. For the last year and a half, two years, the brother that I love more than anything, both of my brothers I love, but Kevin we have a close relationship with. I had no idea. They said for the last couple of years we sit around at the table at Christmas time and they said they felt awkward, like that we didn't really want to be there. And I said, I have no idea where that came from. We love you, we love being there, we love your children. But because we didn't have that sit-down conversation, these little things that they misread, these misperceptions that they had, became the reality. And they honestly believed that we were trying to avoid them because we didn't want to be around them. You have to be willing to go to that person in love and have those conversations. But... If he refuses to listen to the two or three witnesses, tell it to the church. And this is where it gets really tough. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's pretty tough, isn't it? These, these, by the way, are in red. I just want you to know that. This is the words of Jesus. This is what He says how you treat someone. You go and talk to them. If they don't believe you, you bring two or, f- two or three more witnesses. If they don't believe them, if they won't listen to them, then you take it before the whole church. Now it sounds pretty harsh. We're jumping back a few decades, but that happened quite often back in the 50s and 60s, didn't it? I visited with a young lady, in, uh, not a young lady, she was a much older lady in Sweetwater. And she said her kids... Uh, refused to walk into a church building. And here's the reasoning. One of them was just out of high school. One of the other was in high school. They were going to a church. They'd stopped going for several weeks, a, a couple months, and they got a letter from the church that was disfellowshipping them because they weren't attending. And they said, you know what? If the church won't let us in the door, then we don't want to be there. And that was about forty years ago, and neither one of our kids will go into a church because a letter they got that says you've been disfellowship. We don't want you anymore. Well, was it biblical that a group of people be disfellowship for something they did wrong? Yes, it is. But there's a couple steps in between that didn't happen, did it? You got to go to them first. You have to talk to them. You have to be willing to say, let's handle this. You know, we're living in a society that doesn't like this type of uh, confrontation. You know, we want everybody to be happy all the time. In fact, uh, Scotty just told me this morning, I'm I'm kind of in a little trouble because I I put in the the bulletin that our kids, before we go to Pine Springs, we're going to have a brown bag which means that we're going to have you know put our lunch in a, well, in a brown bag. A, a bag that's brown. I, I don't know, I mean, that's always the way it's been. But apparently, Seattle, Washington says, well, you can't call them brown bags anymore because that's, that's bad. That's hurtful to a group of people who would take offense to the fact that it's a brown bag. Well, I don't know, if it was a red, I would call it a red bag. Or yellow, I don't But we've gotten into this thing of, well, let's just make everybody happy. Uh, and we are way past time. And i got to stop, but you, you can come talk to me later on. And, and we'll work this through. But I, I want to encourage you. God does not call us simply to come down here and live and follow His, His rules and His laws and say everything is okay. We live with people. And we live messy lives, and they live messy lives, but the response is, all I have to do is keep things good between me and God, and we're okay. What God says is, love other people, and through your relationships with them, they will see me. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Not for me but from Jesus Himself. There are some of you today who have been harboring bitterness and resentment and you're not having conversations with your brothers and sisters, some of them in Christ, some of them with blood, and you have stopped conversations or it's cold. And I'm going to beg you right now, find them. Pick up the phone. Go drive to their house and reconcile that relationship. Because when you can bring that back together, what they see is God and His mighty power and His forgiveness working through our lives. Teenagers, stop using Facebook and stop going around and gossiping about your BFF last week who now y'all are mad at because you wore the same skirt to some get-together. People, God has called us to be the shining light and where we need to start is in our families and in our homes. Husbands, if you're struggling with, a, with your relationship with your wife, go sit down with her and talk with her and reconcile that relationship. Wives, if you have a problem with your husband, don't go tell your girlfriend about how upset you are with him. Don't get all your girls together and talk about how he leaves his socks out. Go talk to him. Build a relationship that glorifies God. This is not just between you and God. This includes everyone. We are called to come together and commune. Maybe I've preached. Maybe I've just meddled. But what I do believe is that God has called us to be a reconciliation, a people of reconciliation. Just in the way God has brought us together, we are to call one another back together in love. Please don't wait. Don't wait for a text or a phone call. Don't wait till you find out the person that you could have reconciled with has passed away. Don't miss out. Make today be the day That you glorify God through your relationships with people. May God be glorified as you make that phone call. Drive to that house. As you pick up the phone. May God be glorified. If there's any way that we can serve you this morning. We want to encourage you to come and be reconciled to God. One who calls you back into relationship. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.